Simon was Peter. This week he's Satan. Last week he was rock. This week he's an obstacle. Lots changed since last week and it was only a matter of a few moments in real time. And I think to understand, kind of kind of set ourselves in this situation, you kind of picture it, kind of picture Jesus at a crossroad, a literal crossroad in the path. One, one path leads to Jerusalem and the other path leads back home, back to Capernaum, back to safety. Danger, safety. Cross, not the cross. Peter, feeling all elated and proud of himself for last week's escalades, uh, gets in front of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. Follow me this way. Peter goes in front of him. You can kind of picture him like putting his arms out, maybe like grabbing him by the shoulders, like God forbid. That's an ironic phrase if there ever was one. God forbid, you're not gonna do that. We're gonna help you. We're gonna protect you. We're not going that way. And you can, kind of, you can kind of picture almost a little tussle like Jesus tries to keep going and Peter won't let him. And Jesus tries to keep going and he kind of spins him around. Peter maybe falls to the ground and is looking up at Jesus while he says this, get behind me, Satan. Just imagine Jesus saying that to you. This is the same, same phrase, by the way, that Jesus says to Satan at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. When Satan was tempting him in the desert, he takes him up on the high mountain, shows him all the nations of the world, says, hey, bow down and worship, and it's all yours. That's where, that's where Jesus says it. Be gone, Satan. He changes a little bit for Peter. Because Peter isn't really Satan, but he's acting like him. He says, get back behind me. You want to be my disciple, you have to be behind me. You have to follow me. Because you're thinking as human beings do and not as God does. Last week he was accoladed because he, he was thinking as God does. Oh, that's good. You didn't learn that from human beings, you learned that from God. But now he's fallen back into thinking like human beings do. And on, on one sense, we, would, we could say, well, you know, maybe Jesus is being a little bit harsh with Peter. I mean, he's just trying to save his friend's life. He's, love, he's kind of come out of love, right? We can be a little bit sympathetic to that, and I think that's okay. But Jesus isn't here just to merely escalate our human virtue, our human love, our human wisdom. He's here to divinize it. So it's not enough to master the physical universe. He wants us to master the spiritual universe. This is to think as God does, not as human beings do. And he says to him, you are an obstacle. The word there is actually in Greek, scandalon, which is the word where we get scandal, but the literal understanding of it was a stone over which you stumble, a stumbling block. We hear that sometimes. You are a stumbling block to me. Well, last week he was the foundation stone and now he's the stone that obstructs your way and which you trip over. And that's actually what Jesus does. Peter will later continue this same line of thought in his letters. He'll say, the stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. 
to build this, this temple, which we're all called to be part of. But if he's not your cornerstone, then he's inevitably your stumbling block. He's inevitably a scandal to you. And you trip over him. And we can either trip over him and, and get up and run away or try again or whatever, or we can stay there and kind of try to reorient our vision to try to understand the way that Jesus thinks. Peter is such a great figure in the Bible because in so many ways he's so like us. He's a slow learner. And we see it later in the Gospels. Where is he when Jesus is dying on the cross? Oh, well, I don't know, but he's not there. He's not at the cross. What had he said the night before? I will never leave you. Later in the scriptures, Paul has to reprimand him because again, he's kind of not quite acting rightly. Even the legend about Peter, how it goes for him at the very end. He's in, he's in Rome, he's made it to Rome. He's evangelizing the people. The people know this is the fisherman. This is him. This is, this is the right-hand man of the Lord. And just like Peter did, some of his disciples are saying, hey, it's getting dangerous here. You should get out of Dodge. You should save yourself. You're important. We need you. We're going we're gonna to save you. And so they start trying to sneak him out of Rome. And as he's leaving, he's on the way out of Rome, he sees Jesus walking back into Rome. And he says, Lord, quo vadis, where are you going? And the Lord looks at him and says, I'm going to Rome to be crucified because you won't do it. And Peter finally gets it. And he goes back to Rome, he gets, he gets arrested and he's taken to be crucified. And in the last great turning point of Peter's life, he asks to be crucified upside down. And it's then in Peter's life that now he sees things rightly. When he's upside down, he actually sees the world in the way that it was meant to be seen. He's thinking like God does and not as human beings do. And I think that's the question for every single one of us that the gospel proposes. Do I think more like human beings do or do I think more like God does? One characteristic of thinking in the way that the Lord Jesus thinks, thinking as God does, is am I going towards the cross or am I going away from the cross? Peter, until that last moment, was always going away from the cross. He's try, always trying to avoid suffering. That's a natural thing to want to do, to avoid suffering. That's a very human thing to do, to run away from things that cause us suffering. So we don't want to get, we're not getting down on just, like, yeah, that's, that's, seems normal. Peter should say to his friend, I don't want you to die. But that's a human way of thinking. And the Lord wants to flip that upside down. And he wants us to show, he wants to show us something else. Because of course we know that the point isn't suffering, the point isn't the cross, the point is what's on the other side of the cross? Resurrection.
but we only get there through the cross. So this is what St. Paul is talking about in the letter of the Romans. So here's Paul speaking to pagan Rome, and we can hear him very much speaking to us in pagan America. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Only then can you know what is God's will, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. But we live in the age that we live in and we're bombarded by its messages. We're bombarded by the way that it thinks. And so if we're not really intentional, we're going to start thinking the way that the world thinks. So we have to ask ourselves, am I thinking the way the world thinks or am I thinking the way that God thinks? I mean, pick whatever, whatever, you know, modern issue, modern ideology, modern whatever. Think whatever, whatever one you want. Is that, a way, is that a worldly way of thinking, a human way of thinking? Or is that from the Lord? I think oftentimes, almost always, it's a way of running away from the cross. It's a way of refusing to suffer. And on one hand, we can, we can be sympathetic to that. We can look and say, yeah, I understand why that person would want to run away from that. I understand why somebody would want to do that, to make that decision. That, that does sound scary. That sounds hard. That sounds uncomfortable. That sounds difficult. And so I can, I can understand it. But I can't consent to it. The Lord's calling me to something more. I can avoid this little cross right now but I can't avoid all crosses forever. And the sooner I embrace my cross, the sooner I get back behind the master and follow him, the sooner I get to the cross, the sooner I start thinking the way that the master thinks, the sooner I get to the resurrection. So am I thinking like God or am I thinking like men? In order, to, in order to think the way that God thinks, we have to surround ourselves with other people who think that way. We have to surround ourselves with people who will actually call us out if we're going the wrong way. We can say, wow, oh, Jesus, you're being a little bit harsh, but what a grace to have somebody in your life that tells you you're going the wrong way. That direction doesn't lead to happiness. That's a grace. I think this is one of, the, one of the reasons why the Archbishop has been calling for these small group, the small group training that's coming up. I've been mentioning it a little bit. It starts in a couple of weeks. It's going to be on Tuesdays for seven weeks uh, here at the parish. It's conducted by the, Archbishop, the Archdiocese. And I think the idea is to form small groups of people, small groups of parishioners, so that I'm walking with people who are helping me to think like God helping to transform my mind. Because if I'm not intentional about it, I will just necessarily start thinking the way that the world thinks. Our children will start thinking the way that the world thinks because that's the world they live in. What alternative are we offering? There's so many good resources out there if we, if we look for them more than ever today. There's ways to get input into my mind to transform it if I'm intentional about it. 
And I think this is, this is the vision the Archbishop has for us. This is very much what we see in the early church. It wasn't just this big hodgepodge of Christians. It was, I have little groups of Christians that I walk with in an intentional way. And some of you have that, but not all of you do. And I would say for those of you who, who do and say, well, I don't, I don't need that. Well, you might need to be that for somebody else. You might need to be the, the help, the catalyst, the aid, the agent of transformation in somebody else's life. And those of you who don't have it, this is, this is what we, we, need, we need so badly. So I would encourage you to really think about, is this something that the Lord is drawing me into, asking me to do, something that's going to help me to grow in my faith and be transformed so that I can think more like God and less like human beings? In the end, I think all of us end up being either that, that stone, that building block in this, this community this, of believers, or a stone that's cast aside in which people stumble over. The Christian who thinks the way that the world thinks is literally a scandal. It's all the more do we want to be intent about the transformative work of the Lord in our hearts and minds? As we enter in now to the, to the Eucharist, the mystery of the greatest transformation, the transformation of bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus, let's unite our hearts and minds to the altar so that they too be transformed with him.